Psalm chapter 122. Psalm 122 is where we're going to be today. And last week we started a brand new collection of messages called Survival Guide for Your Soul. And last week we passed out these uh, booklets that have some pages to take notes and also a Bible reading schedule. And if you did not get one of these journals, we have plenty of them. You can get one from one of the ushers on the way out today. Uh, But we have uh, many pages to take notes, a Bible reading schedule. And so I hope that you'll take advantage of that and uh, uh, follow along as we study in the book of Psalms this summer. Specifically, we're going to be studying the Psalms of Ascent. And uh, these songs that were sung on the way to Jerusalem uh, to celebrate these uh, feasts that the Israelites would celebrate. And uh, we see from Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, these Psalms of Ascent, and that's where we're going to be hanging out over the next several weeks. And so I hope that you will be here each and every week. If you're ready to dive into God's Word today, would you say amen? Amen. Psalm 122, verse number one. The Bible says this, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Can anyone resonate with that this morning? Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. Whether the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto the testimony of Israel to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. For there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions' sakes, I will now say, peace be within thee. Because of the house of the Lord. Everybody say, the house of the Lord. Because of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek thy good. Today, for a few minutes, I want to speak to this subject. Get to the house. Get to the house. Let's have a word of prayer together. God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this time that we can come together to worship you and to lift high your name. And God, I pray that we would lean into your word today. God, I pray that we would put aside any mental distractions or any mental barriers that might stand in the way of us receiving your truth. And God, I pray that we would gladly receive the word that you have for us today and that we would leave differently because of it. I pray that we would understand just how important the house of the Lord is. And we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, how many of you would... Uh, say that you genuinely enjoy road trips. Anybody like that? You enjoy going on a road trip. I like the concept of going on a road trip, and uh, I don't know if I actually enjoy the experience once I'm on a road trip, but I always like the thought of going on a road trip, right? It always sounds fun. Get a good playlist together, get some good snacks together, and uh, my kids really enjoy going on a road trip especially if they're going to grandma's house because they know if they're going to grandma's house, it means they get to swim. It means they get candy. They can stay up late. And uh, so they always enjoy getting in the car to head to grandma's house. And it reminds me of the classic uh, song. I think we have a clip of it this morning. Uh, to grandmother's house we go. Do we, have that? Do we have that clip today? Over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house we go. The horse knows a way to carry the sleigh through wide and drift. 
right? That puts us in a good mood, right? Like, like I want to go to grandma's house after listening to that. And uh, the other day we were driving to grandma's house with the kids and they were filled with anticipation and excitement. And uh, we were trying to uh, navigate the time and trying to pass the time. We found a new and updated version of that song uh, of going to grandma's house. And I brought it up for us this morning. Come on, does that not get you in the mood to go to grandma's house? Like trying to sound so cool singing about going to grandma's house. And, uh, you know, whenever we go on a road trip and uh, there's always that anticipation and excitement from the kids of arriving at the destination. And when we come to Psalm chapter 122, what we find is that the Israelites are on a road trip. And Psalm 122 is their playlist. This is the song that they're singing. And you can tell as you read these psalms and these songs that they are filled with anticipation and excitement for their destination. The prospect of coming together and to worship with God's people is something that they were truly, genuinely excited about. You can read it in verse number one of our text. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Uh, There was some excitement. There was some anticipation. Hey, going to church is not a have to, it's a get to, I was glad when they told me we could go to the house of the Lord. And so there was this excitement uh, coming from David and the Israelites as they were headed to the house of God. One commentator, Samuel Cox, said this, this psalm teaches us not simply what the Hebrew programs felt, but also what God would have us feel. In other words, when we look to Psalm 122, we see a snapshot and a picture of what the Israelites felt. Uh, They felt this excitement, this joy of going to the house of the Lord. But it's also something that we should emulate, that we should feel that joy and excitement as we uh, head to the house of the Lord. That going to church is not a duty. Going to church is a delight. It's something that we get to do, that we find joy in. Now, Now, tragically and sadly, in our culture today, we've drifted from that mindset. Uh, We have drifted, and and even uh, church attendance has been on the decline over the last uh, 10 years. We've seen this this drifting from membership and and church attendance. In fact, according to one Gallup poll uh, done last year in 2021, Americans who consider themselves members of a church, a mosque, or a synagogue dropped below 50% in 2021. That's the lowest the number has been since the poll was started in 1937. And so we see this decline of those that would say that they belong to a church or that they attend church. Furthermore, 30% of the people of that same poll, actually 29% of those people actually have a negative view of the church and say that the church does not have a positive impact on society. And so we see this perspective of the church and church attendance is being distorted and we're drifting from this biblical model. And in 2019, just in the United States, this was a year before the pandemic, before 2020, so we can't blame COVID on it. In 2019, 4,500 churches closed their doors in the United States. And so we see this decline. We see this drift. And there's a stark contrast from what David's saying here in Psalm 122. I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. I love worshiping the Lord with God's people. By the way, when you study the Old Testament and then going to the tabernacle, when you study the New Testament, the book of Acts, there's always this correlation between going to the house of the Lord and joy. There's always this connection. You want to have a healthy soul? You want to experience joy in your life? Then get rooted and planted in the house of God. This is what we see all throughout the scripture. In the New Testament, Acts chapter 2, verse 46, it says this. 
And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness. Everybody say gladness. Gladness Gladness and singleness of heart. And so a hallmark characteristic of a healthy church is that the church is happy. That there's gladness, that there's joy, that we're smiling. I read recently that Canon, uh, the photography company, the tech company, they developed this new AI software that before you could go into certain meetings, they, had you, they would scan your face and you had to be smiling to enter into the meeting. I think we have a picture uh, this morning of it. There it is, right there. And so you have to be uh, smiling. I thought about that and I thought, wouldn't it be nice to put some of those on the church doors as you're walking in a church that, that you had to smile to come into the house of the Lord? Why is it that we can smile uh, going to a sporting event? We can smile going to Disneyland. We can smile going to a concert. We can smile going to a movie. We can smile going to a party. Hey, if there's anywhere that we ought to smile and have joy, it is in the house of the Lord coming to worship the one that saved us and redeemed us and loved us. And gathering around God's people, hey, we ought to smile. We ought to find joy coming to the house of the Lord. Now, when David says here in Psalm 122, when he says the house of the Lord, he's referring to uh, that, that term used for the Old Testament tabernacle. Now, today we come together in the New Testament, we come together and we gather in the church. And we have the church and we gather together on the Lord's Day. The reason why we worship together on Sunday is because we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the pattern that we see in the New Testament. The Bible says this in Acts 20 verse number 7, and upon the first day of the week, so the first day of the week, in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, it says, Upon the first day of the week, let everyone lay by him in store, speaking of planning to be generous and to bring an offering to the house of the Lord. We do this on the first day of the week. And so this was the pattern for corporate worship. Now, the first day of the week in the first century was still considered a work day. And so worshiping the Lord on Sunday, uh, that was like us today. If we had to change our service schedule to start having services on Monday morning at 9 and 11 o'clock, how many of you that would mess up your schedule, right? And so if that were the case, we would dramatically have to uh, change our schedules and to make sacrifices if we wanted to come to church. And that's how it was in the New Testament, which brings me to a rhetorical question for us today. How important is church attendance for you? How important is it? How important is it to come together to worship the Lord with God's people in community in the house of the Lord? How important is it to us? I was reading uh, recently, several years ago, there was a church, and they were kind of facetiously having a special Sunday, and they called the Sunday No Excuse Sunday, and uh, they wanted to eliminate all the excuses of why people come to church, and they said this. This was in the advertisement. We're going to provide blankets for those who thought it was too cold. We're going to provide fans for those who thought it was too hot, earplugs for those who think it's too loud, scorecards so you can count how many hypocrites there are, eye drops for those who are tired, and they even said we're going to decorate the church in Christmas trees and Easter eggs so those that only come to church on Easter and Christmas will feel comfortable in their environment, right? Uh, they thought of everything. No excuses. How important is gathering with God's people to you? Do you find joy in the prospect of waking up on Sunday morning? I get to go to the house of the Lord today. This is what David is communicating in Psalm 122. I was glad there, there was joy. And today, this is so important for your soul. I believe that if you want to uh, experience a healthy soul and a, and, and a healthy trajectory for your life, you're going to get rooted and planted into the house of God. In fact, the Bible says this in Psalm 42, verse 4. When I remember these things, the psalmist says, in, in context, he's picturing going to the house of the Lord to worship. He says, when I think about these things, I pour out my soul in me. 
For I had gone with the multitude, and I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept holy day. And, and so here the psalmist is saying, my soul is hurting thinking about when I used to be able to go to church, and now I can't. When I used to be able to go to the house of God, and now I can't. My soul is, is breaking within me. And so there is a direct correlation between having a healthy soul and getting rooted and planted in community. And so this is what we see in the book of Psalms. And this is what we're going to unpack today in Psalm 122. And so what we're going to do is look at this chapter, these nine verses. And I want to give us five characteristics of what the house of the Lord should be. Would that be all right this morning? So when we come together, when we go to the house of the Lord, what should this place be? And so five characteristics today, if you want to jot these down, take some notes. Number one, it should be a place of harmony. A place of harmony. A place of unity. Notice what it says in verse number one. I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open in Psalm 122 as we study this psalm together. Verse number one, it says this. I was glad when they said. Did you see it? I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. Notice the plurality of the language that is used, used here. David said, I was glad when they said, let us go to the Lord. David was surrounded by some people that encouraged him to prioritize the house of the Lord. He was surrounded by a community of believers and some friends and some loved ones that said, hey, you need to be in the house of the Lord. They said, let us go. Hey, you ought to have some people in your life that encourage you to serve in the local church, that encourage you to, to not miss a Sunday, that encourage you to be rooted and planted in the house of God. Hey, if someone texts you and reminds you, hey, uh, you ought to be in church today. Hey, that should not be viewed as a bother. That should be viewed as a blessing. I'm thankful that I have people in my life that can hold me accountable, that care about me, that say, hey, let's go to church together. David said, I was so happy when they said, a community, let us go. We're going to go together. Let us go to the house of the Lord. You know, the Bible puts it this way in Hebrews. It says this in Hebrews 10, 24. It says, and let us consider one another. And so let us consider the people that are sitting in this room. Let us consider the people that are coming to the next service that perhaps you don't know or haven't had a chance to interact with. But let's consider the church. Let's consider the online uh, audience. Hey, let's consider one another. Let's not just think of ourselves. Let's consider other people. Consider one another. Watch this. To provoke. Provoke unto love and to good works. Provoke. Now, typically we use the word provoke in a negative connotation, right? When we talk about provoking, we're talking about agitating, getting on someone's nerves. Uh, like my kids, they're expert at, experts at provoking, right? Uh, in the backseat of the car, they're, they're, they're going to provoke one another and agitate one another. Typically, we use that word in the negative context. But here in Hebrews, the author uses it in a positive context. Provoke. Uh, stir on, spur on, point other people in the right direction. We ought to have some people in our life that will provoke us unto love and to good works and will help steer us in the right direction. I want to encourage you, be that friend for someone else. Provoke them unto love and to good works. Hey, uh, David said, I was glad when they said, let us go. This was something that they did together. There was some harmony that was taking place. Are you with me this morning? Matthew Henry said this, we should not only agree with one another, but excite and stir up one another to go to worship God in public. Let us go, not you go and pray for us and we will stay at home. And so it's not like, hey, that's cool for you. You can do that. Hey, have fun. I'll pray for you. No, let us go. Let's do this together. We're in this together. There's community. There's harmony. Now, notice verse number two. It continues on. It says this in verse number two. Our feet shall stand Within. Everybody say within. within. David's picturing himself and they're traveling to worship in the house of the Lord. They're going to Jerusalem. He says, our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. In other words, 
going to the house of the Lord and the church is not something that you simply ponder from the outside. It's something that you get plugged into from the inside. It's easy to stand at a distance and to critique. It's easy to stand at a distance and watch and, and, and view how we might do things differently. But hey, what David said is, I'm excited to stand within the gates. I'm, I'm excited to get plugged in and be in the room. Hey, I'm thankful for our online audience. I'm thankful for live stream. I believe it's a great blessing, and when we're sick, we're able to tune in and be connected. But I believe that if David was here today, he would say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord, and I want to get on the inside. I want to stand. I want to be in the room when, God, uh, when God's word is, is spoken. And, and so I just believe that David had this mindset like, man, I'm thankful to be within the gates. I'm thankful to be in the room. And so he says, let's go to the house of the Lord. Let's stand in the gates of Jerusalem. And then it says this in verse number three. He says, uh, Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. Okay, now what I want us to do for a minute is I want us to imagine that we are on a sightseeing tour with David in Jerusalem, okay? How many of you have ever wanted to go on a Holy Land tour? Anybody like that? Go to Israel and see the sights? Okay, so let's for a minute picture that we're in the Holy Land. We're taking the tour with David. You got your I Heart Jerusalem t-shirt on. You got your camera. You're ready to go. We're looking at the city. And David says, now notice, the city of Jerusalem is as a city that is compact, builded together. It's compactly together. He's saying, notice, notice the architecture of the buildings. Notice how uh, the, the, the masonry, the joints, the stones, the bricks, uh, they're all uh, fitting together perfectly. There's no loose ends. There's nothing that is loose. There's nothing that uh, is easily broken. Every piece has a place. And that is a picture of a unified church. He's saying, notice how the city is well built. It's fitting together. Every piece has a place. Can I tell you that First Peter says that as the church, as the people of God, that we are living stones, that we are are a brick in God's house, and we are to stand firmly in our place, that every member is a minister, every saint is a servant, that we have a purpose, each and every single one of us. And so we see this picture of harmony. He says, look at the city. The architecture is well built. It's compact together. Corey Ten Boom said this, be united with other Christians. A wall with loose bricks is not good. The bricks must be cemented together. We are to stand together, to strive together uh, for the faith of the gospel. What does Ephesians say in Ephesians 4.16? From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. And so we all have a role to play, that we are all a part of the body of Christ. Uh, every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying. What does the word edifying mean? to lift up, to build up for the edifying of itself in love. And so today we have to recognize that we have a part to play, uh, that, that God wants each and every single one of us in this room to be in our place, to be plugged in. And so we see this picture of unity. Now, let's keep on reading in verse number four. Everybody still with me? So David's painting this picture of unity. And then he says this in verse four, whether the tribes go up, and then he says this, the tribes of the Lord. He says, the tribes go up, but then he says, the tribes of the Lord. In other words, when David arrived in Jerusalem, when the people would come together, would travel from all over, uh, they would come from different places, different tribes, different backgrounds, different educations, different upbringings, different settings, different circumstances. They would all come together from these different places. But when they arrived, David gives this clarifying clause, and he says, the tribes of the Lord. 
In other words, they come from all of these different directions, but when we arrive, we arrive with one singular purpose to worship the Lord. And so in other words, we come from different backgrounds, different settings, but when we gather in the house of God as the people of God, we are united. There is one tribe, there is one blood, there is one uh, family, and that is the family of God. And this is something that is so important for your soul. Because if you're not careful, you will focus on the nuances of your tribe. You will focus on the intricacies of your background, the nuances of your upbringing, and you will focus on your culture and what, and you'll focus on self. And when you do that, it will lead to tribalism. And tribalism will always lead to division. And that division will always lead to devastation. And what we ought to recognize today is that when we get saved and trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we are in Christ, and we are in Christ alone. And that means our identity is in Christ alone. The Bible says in Acts 17 that there is one blood, that there is one tribe, there is one family, the family of God with one message, and that is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So David says, yeah, we're coming from all these different backgrounds. There's 12 tribes. We're coming together. But when we arrive to worship, listen, we are one tribe. This is one family that is united not by, uh, not by our upbringing or education or circumstances. We are united by the name of Jesus Christ. And so you see this picture of unity here, this picture of togetherness. We are one. The Bible says this in John 17, 21. Jesus said that they all may be one. When Jesus was praying for the church, in other words, when Jesus was praying for you, just hours before Jesus would go to the cross, he was praying for you. And the Bible says that they all may be one. He was praying that we would be united. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. See, our unity will help us in our evangelism, and that the world is watching. And so we recognize today that we must be like the city of Jerusalem, finding our place and, and fitting firmly in that place and striving together for the sake of the gospel. And so uh, the church should be this place of harmony. Everybody tracking with me this morning? So the church is a place of harmony. But number two is this. It should be a place of gratitude. Gratitude. Is anybody thankful to be here today? It's a place of gratitude. Notice it in verse number four. It says this. He says, whether the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, that one tribe, he says, unto the testimony of Israel to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. So why do we come together and, and gather in the local church today? Well, we come together to lift high the name of Jesus and to give thanks unto his name, to give praise unto his name. This was not a suggestion here in Psalm 122. This was a command, which means that we do not worship God when we feel like it. We worship God out of obedience. Uh, we, we praise him. We give thanks unto his name because that is what we are called to do. I love what Augustine says. He says, a Christian should be an alleluia from head to foot. That everything within us and everything about us should point to giving God praise and glory that he deserves. See, just like we were created for community, we were wired for worship. We're, we're intricately designed and wired for worship. And so that means that worship and praising God and thanking God is not about a personality. It's not about our personality. It is about our programming that we were wired to worship, that God created us to serve and to worship. And it's not about a feeling. It's not about sensationalism. It's about obedience. Uh, Eugene Peterson, in his book, Long Obedience in the Same Direction, he says this. We think that if we don't feel something, there can be no authenticity in doing it. 
But the wisdom of God says something different, that we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Did you catch it this one? I'll read it again. I'll read it again so we can really process it, okay? He says, we think that if we don't feel something, there can be no authenticity in doing it. But the wisdom of God says something different, that we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. And so, in other words, it's not about just feeling like, oh, I'm in, the, I'm in a mood to worship and I want, I want to get uh, goosebumps when I worship and have a good feeling. No, uh, we worship out of obedience. And when we worship out of obedience, that will produce uh, the feelings to inspire greater worship for him. And so it's not about what we feel like doing. It's about walking in obedience. Psalm 150 is, is a great chapter that talks about how we ought to worship God. In fact, let's do this. If you have a Bible today, I want to encourage you. Turn to Psalm chapter 150 for a moment. Psalm 150. If you don't have a Bible today, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. If not, the verses will be on the screen as well. Once you find your spot, would you say amen? Amen. Psalm 150, verse number one. It says this, praise ye the Lord. Praise him. And this is this, praise God in his sanctuary. So where is that? We're to praise him when we gather together in God's house. And so we gather together in God's house to praise him, to worship him. Do you believe that today? And so we praise him in his sanctuary. But then it says this, praise him in the firmament. Where's that? That's everywhere and anywhere. We can praise God wherever we are in creation. I'm thankful that our worship is not confined to a simple place or to a room. We can worship God freely wherever we might be. And so specifically, we praise him in the sanctuary, in the house of God. Then we praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Does anybody believe in the room today that God is great and he is worthy to be praised? And so our worship be in proportion to the greatness of God, according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and the harp. Praise him with timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Now, just to recap, the entire book of Psalms is really a hymnal. It's a worship book. It teaches us how to come together and give thanks and praise uh, to our God. Now, specifically in Psalm 122, the passage that we're studying, I want you to, I want you to look at verse number four again in Psalm 122. He says, unto the testimony of the Lord to give thanks unto the name of the Lord to give thanks. Now, in the book of Psalms, there are seven major words for worship in Uh, in in Hebrew, uh, for the words praise and worship that we find in the book of Psalms. If you've ever taken our culture course at Rock Hill, we talk about these words, these different words. This specific word in the Hebrew for thanks is this word, yada. And this is what it means, to praise God with extended hands. And so when we lift our hands in worship, it is not about trying to get attention. It is not about being emotional. It is about saying, I am so thankful for the one that split the sea so that I could walk right through it. I'm so thankful that I'm in the family of God. It's a visible outward expression, not to get attention, but to give God the praise and the glory that he deserves. The church ought to be a place where we can lift up our voices, lift our hands to give God the praise that he deserves. The word is yada, to give thanks, to give praise unto his name. Al Martin said this, men have worshiped with open Bibles and with the name of Christ and the Bible on their lips 
while whole congregations before them have been held in the grip of barrenness, lifelessness, and powerlessness. I don't know about you, but I don't want those three words to describe Rock Hill Church. Barrenness, lifelessness, powerlessness, where it has been weeks and months and years since hearts have been ravished by the sight of the glory of God on the face of Jesus Christ. Years since any hymn has been sung with abandonment. Years since a tear has trickled down the face of a worshiper. Years since a hallelujah flowed out of a bursting heart. Today, are we just going through the motions? Or do we really believe that there is a God in heaven that created us? A God in heaven that sent his only begotten son to live a perfectly sinless life, to die on the cross in your place and in my place so that when we die, we don't have to go to a terrible place called hell, but that we can live on forever in heaven with Jesus Christ. There ought to be some gratitude that overflows from our heart this morning. And so the church is a place of harmony. We come together in unity, but the church is a place of gratitude where we are so thankful, expressing thanks uh, for the God that we worship. This leads us to our third thought today. Number three is this. The church is a place of clarity. Have you noticed that we are living in confusing times? Have you noticed that people in the world today are confused about what they believe? Anybody else notice that today, that the world is confused at what they believe? There's all kinds of confusion and all kinds of distortion today, and the culture is drifting so far. But will we come to the church and we gather around God's word uh, to find clarity, uh, to find clarity for the confusing aspects of life? And I want you to see it in verse number five. Notice what the Bible says in verse five. For there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. And so here he says there are set thrones for the house of judgment. Now, the biblical word judgment means an act of deciding a case. And Jerusalem was not only the religious center of Israel, but it was also the political center of Israel. And so the people would often come there to to hear judgment, to hear righteous justice uh, executed. They wanted to know uh, right and wrong. They wanted to hear a a court case evaluated. They wanted to see justice played out. They wanted to have a conflict uh, and a dispute resolved. And so this is the place where righteous judgment is exercised. And so today, we have to recognize that it's the same for us when we come to the house of God, that we gather under the name of Jesus, but we gather around God's word, his righteous judgment, so that we can uh, provide and see clarity in our lives. Uh, The judgments of God are what provide clarity. In other words, the Bible says this in Psalm 119, verse 164. Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments. Everybody tracking with me this morning? So the righteous judgments, the psalmist says, I'm going to praise God for his righteous judgment, for his word. Why? Because they provide clarity for life. He says, great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. When you have a real love for God's word and you have a love for his judgments and and his righteousness, he says, Lord, I have hope for thy salvation and done thy commandments. My soul hath kept thy testimonies and I love them exceedingly. Do you love the word of God? Do you love his word? Do you love spending time in God's word? Do you love his righteous judgments? Because there is nothing that is better for your soul than the word of God. There's nothing better for your soul than it to be saturated in scripture. Adrian Rogers said this, if you have a Bible that's falling apart, you'll have a life that's not. 
If you are spending time daily in God's word, you will find the clarity that you need for life. Now, I believe that we ought to read the Bible every day. I believe that we ought to be in God's word as much as we possibly can. I want to encourage you to use those journals and follow along with us in the book of Psalms. I believe that we ought to spend each time seeking the Lord and spending time with him and praying and spending time in his word. I believe that we should do that by ourselves. But I believe that also we should find ourselves in community when we study the word of God together. When we come to the house of God to hear his righteous judgments together. When we worship the Lord together. Because when you read the Bible in isolation, while that is a wonderful thing, often we can be clouded by our own perspectives. We can be uh, impaired by our own ignorance of what we don't know. And so there is great value for coming together to hear the word of God to provide clarity for our lives. This is what we see in the New Testament in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse number 13. For this cause also we thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word, Everybody say, receive the word. Receive the word. Just like we're playing catch, it's not just me up here uh, throwing out verses. Uh, We have to be ready and and with our hands open, our hearts open to receive the word, okay? And so he says, to receive the word of God, which he heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. And so we're not here just talking about the words of men. We are hearing the words of God. This is God trying to talk to you today. This is God trying to communicate to you today, saying, hey, listen in. This is what I want you to hear. Receive it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. And so the house of God is a place of clarity. Where do we find this clarity? In the word of God. Do you believe it today? Place of clarity. Number four is this. The house of God ought to be a place of prayer. Now, the next three verses that the psalmist gives, they center in on prayer. And this is vitally important. We know that the church ought to be a house of prayer, right? Jesus said this in Mark 11, verse 17, and he taught, saying unto them, is it not written, my house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But ye have made it into a den of thieves. And so it's, it's vitally important that we prioritize prayer when we come uh, together in the house of God. Now, specifically, there's two prayers that we see in Psalm 122, and I want to point them out. First, we should be praying for Jerusalem. All right, let's notice it in verse number six. Everybody still with me? Verse six. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. And so he says, hey, we need to pray for Jerusalem. By the way, I believe that the church, we ought to be praying for Israel. The Bible promises that, that those that bless, God will bless those that bless Israel. This goes all the way back uh, to the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter number 12. And so we ought to be praying for uh, the Israelites and praying for Israel. But ultimately we recognize that if you, as you study Bible prophecy, that really no lasting, continual peace in Israel will take place until Jesus returns. Until Jesus comes and establishes the new Jerusalem that we hear about and read about in Revelation chapter number 21, this new holy city, this heavenly city, that is when ultimate peace on earth will be established. In other words, in other words, try to follow with me. In other words, when we pray for Jerusalem, when we are praying for Jerusalem, we are praying that Jesus would return quickly. Because when we are praying for the peace of Jerusalem, we know that that will happen when Jesus comes to establish his earthly kingdom. And so what we're praying for is thy kingdom come. In other words, we are praying that we would have an eternal perspective and praying that Jesus would come quickly. That word Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. It's what we pray when there's a tragic school shooting. When there's difficulties in our world today, when there's tragedy that strikes all around us, we pray Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. 
when we are praying for Jerusalem, we're praying for Israel, but we're also recognizing that ultimate peace will come when Jesus establishes the new Jerusalem, uh, the new heavenly city. But not only do we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, but then we pray for peace in the church. Notice it in verse number eight. He says, well, back it up to verse seven. He said, peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces, verse, verse eight, for my brethren and companions' sakes. I will now say peace be within thee. And so first, David is praying for the peace of Jerusalem, but then he brings it home and he says, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters and companions, those that are close to me. I want to encourage you today that we ought to be a church that's praying for one another, that we're praying for the people in this room, that we care about one another, and that we are pursuing peace with one another. And uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but in our world and culture today, uh, we live in a very angry and hostile world where there is not a whole lot of peace that is often being pursued. I recently read uh, about a lady that went to a court hearing in New York, and uh, she was upset about the court hearing, and she was upset going into the place, and she brought with her a bag filled with little containers that were filled with cockroaches. And as soon as the judge gave the announcement that she didn't like, she took out her bag, took out all those containers, and she let all the cockroaches free in the courtroom, and uh, the whole courthouse had to be shut down to be fumigated. And uh, if you walk into a courthouse with containers fill filled with cockroaches, first of all, something's not right. But secondly, you don't really care about peace, right? Uh, you are just interested in chaos. And uh, we see it all around us in the world today that people are angry, hostile, uh, that, that there is bickering and there is vitriol and there is hatred that we see. But as the church, we are commanded to pray for peace and to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. The church ought to be a house of prayer. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25 says that there should be no schism in the body, no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. That we care about one another. We're praying for one another. F.F. Bruce said this, Persistence in prayer for someone whom we don't like, however much it goes against the grain to begin with, brings about a remarkable change in attitude. I wonder if that person that gets on your nerves, that person that irritates you, that you don't see eye to eye with. I wonder what would happen if you started earnestly praying specifically for that person. That we're praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ. The church ought to be a place of prayer. And lastly, the last thing that we see in this psalm is that the church ought to be a place of decision. Do you have one more in you this morning? It's a place of decision. How many of you have ever made a bad decision? Can I see your hands? All right. I read recently that the average adult makes about 35,000 conscious decisions a day. We make a lot of choices, a lot of decisions. And with so many choices and decisions being made, how many of you know that we desperately need God's wisdom when it comes to making those decisions? We want to make choices that honor the Lord. And we come to this last verse in this chapter of Psalm 122, and we see a decision that is being made. Notice it in verse number 9. He says, because of the house of the Lord, because of the gathering together of God's people, because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. Because of how good God has been to me, because of the gathering of God's people, I will make a decision to move forward and to seek the good of the local church. I'm going to move forward in the calling that God has for me. It's a place of decision. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. First, we love the church. And then we labor for it, we see it's good, and then we seek it's good. We see it's good, and then we seek it's good. Anytime we come to the house of God, it's not just about hearing. 
It's not just about, okay, what, what makes me feel good. It's not just about uh, primarily being encouraged, although I believe that we should be encouraged when we come to the house of God. Uh, many people are carrying burdens that we don't know about. It should be a place of encouragement. But we come to the house of God not just to be hearers only, but to be doers of the word. In other words, the word of God should always drive us to a decision. When we come to the house of God and we gather together, we should always leave thinking and asking, what will love require of me? What does God want me to do? The psalmist says, okay, because of this, I will seek thy good. The church ought to be a place of decision. When we have the time of invitation and introspection at the end of a service, that is when we ought to be praying, God, what do you want me to do with your word today? What decision do you want me to make? Uh, What direction do you want me to go? We cannot simply be hearers of the word. We must be doers of the word. Now, I want to read uh, one last verse, but I want to join you in standing. The worship team can come out whenever they're ready. And if you want to join me in standing, I'm going to read in Revelation chapter 21, verse number two. Because throughout the entirety of this chapter in Psalm 122, David has his eyes set on Jerusalem. And he's thinking and considering Jerusalem. And I believe that the ultimate purpose for us today is to recognize as we travel through this life, as we journey in this Christian life, that our eyes should be set on the new Jerusalem, which is another name for heaven, that our eyes are set on heaven. Now, Revelation talks about this in Revelation 21, verse number two. It says this, and I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them. Can I tell you today, the best part about heaven is who we're going to be with. The best part about heaven is that Jesus will be there. Heaven is a person long before it is a place. And so John is describing this new Jerusalem just as David was considering Jerusalem in Psalm 22. Today we have our eyes set on the new Jerusalem. We have our eyes set on heaven, which is our destination. And then he says this, And he shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Aren't you looking forward to that day? The sting of death taken away? The devastation of sin removed from us? To be with Jesus forever and ever? That is a place that as followers of Jesus, we ought to be looking forward to. As we journey through life, we are anticipating, like on a road trip, We're pressing pressing play on that soundtrack for our soul, looking forward to our destination, looking forward to being with Jesus in heaven forever. But the only way to enter into that kingdom, the only way to experience a home in heaven is by accepting Jesus Christ as your savior. The house of the Lord is something that we studied today in Psalm 122, but going to the house of the Lord is not what saves you. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It's according to his mercy that he saves us. Ephesians 2 says it's for by grace, undeserved favor, that you are saved, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. And so today we can be saved and have a home in heaven, that new Jerusalem, by receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior. But once you have accepted Christ, once you are saved, 
you must recognize the value of the local church. We ought to have a church that is filled with people on a Sunday morning that say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Several years ago, I was reading about this runner named uh, Roger Bannister. And uh, many uh, runners today know him because he has shattered many running records. And uh, Roger Bannister was the first person, when many people thought it was impossible, the first person to break a four-minute mile, to break this record. He ran a mile in three minutes and 59 seconds. And uh, they thought it was impossible, first person to do it. Since then, over 1,600 people have broken this record. But he established it. He set the mark. But many people know Roger Bannister, especially in the running community, but most people don't know that he had two very important people on his team that helped him reach this goal. Their names were Christopher Chataway and Christopher Basher. I think we have a picture this morning. They were Roger Bannister's pace setters. And so when he ran that mile, these were the men that were running next to him during different intervals of the race. They were running next to him to help him establish that pace so that he knew how fast he had to run and he knew how to push himself. And they were running with him to help him reach that goal. Here's what I want to communicate to us today. We need some pace setters in our lives. If you want to have a healthy soul, you need brothers and sisters in Christ that are running the race of this life alongside of you, that are encouraging you, that are provoking you unto love and a good work, saying, hey, we can keep on doing this. Keep on serving the Lord. Keep on trusting the Lord. Hey, keep on showing up. I know it hurts, but keep on showing up. We need that kind of community today. Where do we find it? The local church. I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.